Good evening, world, and welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks, where the takes are always red hot and the critiques, well, they're fair, honest, and, well, also booze-infused. My name is Kevin K. Konkonacek, and I am your host for this evening's spooky affair. I'm an avowed hater of all things horror, so, well, this should be fun. Tonight I'm drinking a Woodford with a splash of sour mix because bourbon is life. But I'm not alone. Oh, no, no. I have my supernatural group of drinking buddies with me, and I am oh so happy that they are here. First up, we have... Hail Mary listeners, I'm Eric Kiska, coming at you like a good Catholic boy drinking red wine. Uh, and I don't know what type, but a French red wine, and I swear that I'm confirmed. So uh, I, I hopefully won't get possessed. Up next, we have my wife, uh, Kelly. Hi, it's Kelly. I am the uh, devoted lover of all things haunted, horror, terror, and uh, awful. I also will be representing the Protestant perspective, which I think is really... Um, it's not, it's not shown enough in uh, the society we live in yet, so I'll be I'll be glad to bring it. But uh, while I'm doing that, I will be drinking red wine as well. Free Ireland <laughs> after me comes. <laughs> hey, it's uh, Cole William Whitlaw Gibson, uh, resident uh, nomad. I guess I don't really know where I am most of the time. I'm currently in Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm drinking uh, Whistle Pig Summer Stock, the Pip. Viper edition. I'm drinking it out of a mug because I'm in an Airbnb and I never have a real house. Uh, also, hail Satan. Let's go. For our listeners out there, we are reviewing the 2015 supernatural psychological horror film, The Black Coat's Daughter. This film was written and directed by Osgood Perkins. The film stars Emma Roberts, Kieran and Shipka. I'm sure I murdered that. You guys will have to correct me later. Lucy... Kieran Shipka. There you go. Thank you. Lucy Boyden, Lauren Holly, and James Reamer. The film premiered at the 2015 Toronto International Film Festival and was released theatrically in the United States in March 31st, 2017, uh, which is a little odd since I said it was a 2015 movie. Eric, you're going to have to help me out with this one. But the basic... 2017. So it was released in 2017, but it was written yep. in 2015. Distributed in 2017, probably released before then, but uh, A24... Distributed it in 2017. Wow. All right. Well, there you go, listeners. A little bit of factoid. Well, the basic plot revolves around three separate timelines, ultimately making the film non-linear. The first two, Rose and Joan, intercut between each other for a third timeline, Cat, is introduced and compromises the film's climax. But for this episode, instead of explaining it scene by scene, I want to ask some overarching theme questions as well as some general questions about the film. This should allow for a more dynamic discussion. All right, everybody. Who has seen this film before? Anybody? Anybody at all? Kelly. Kelly and I. Kelly and Eric has both seen The Black Coat's Daughter before this. All right, so having seen it before, were you going into this with a different perspective? I'll say what I remember from watching it the first time, which is I remembered basically nothing. I remember when I had watched this, too, I felt like 
with the title of the movie. And supposedly the potential working title of it was just called February, which personally I kind of wish that they went with. um, Because for me, I spent half the movie wondering... So who's the black coat? What does a black coat do? What's what's his whole thing? Um, before later figuring out a black coat could mean a priest, it could mean Satan, it could mean a man, like a father figure in general. But I feel like that title distracted me so much that when I tried to remember having watched this, I was trying to think, well, who is the dad? If I could just put my memory back on who the black coat was, I'll remember what this whole movie was about. So that really distracted me. And I also remember thinking that it seemed like the successor almost to the witch, like it was trying to be in that kind of wheelhouse. And in my opinion, it became more American horror story than the witch. So these were like my faint memories of it, but mostly I I had forgotten that I watched it. I just know that I did. And so watching it again, we got like 25% of the way through and I went, I remember the ending now, so that was my that was my rewatch. Uh, I just, quick comment: I also found myself asking who was Black Coat's daughter throughout the entire movie, even mm-hmm. to the end. So it was also distracting, especially because there were three main characters that were all female. They all could have been, and maybe we'll discuss who was and wasn't or whatever. But my point is, is I was also equally distracted. Eric, what was your uh, perspective having seen this before? Uh, I knew, I remember the whole ending. I remembered being scared from it. Uh, I probably hadn't watched it in about five years. But, like I said, I'm a good Catholic boy, and uh, supernatural horror movies really scare me, and uh, possession movies especially scare me. I don't think this was, like, the most, it wasn't the scariest possession film I've ever seen, uh, but it did scare me on a second watch, and uh, I very much enjoy when films scare me actually it means they made me feel something which as we've actually discussed in previous podcasts just like uh 20th century woman made me feel something moonlight made me feel something as long as you make me feel something besides disdain or annoyance like uh maybe in spring breakers um, boredom or yeah other movies that we've watched then i enjoy the movie so that that'll be a little preface for uh what i'm gonna say later fair enough All right, Cole, so this being your first watch, as we get our opening scenes, what are some of the vibes that you're getting as we open this movie? And kind of um, give us your take on the uh, intro. Yeah, so uh, I originally thought I had seen this movie. Turns out I was thinking of A Lady in Black, so completely different. I thought, uh, first I was shocked because this was much different than what I remembered. Turns out I didn't didn't watch it uh i i thought it was uh i don't know it was obviously like a a very like somber quiet slow start you know the and then there's like the couple kind of like jump out type scenes that pop up as she's like having her dream and stuff Uh, i was a little confused trying to figure out what the hell is going on and again i was wondering who the black coat was throughout the film i guess my initial uh vibes was curious inquisitive and i don't know i was excited to see what was going to happen i guess well that's fair so we kind of get a good vibe for the film's pacing and tone pretty much right from the beginning so kelly i want to ask the black coat's daughter is known for its slow burning atmospheric horror how do you feel like the film's pacing affected your experience did you find it effective in building the tension throughout the film 
I think that for me, and that's the note that I had just written down was for me, I like just feel like it's too slow for me until we find out who Joan actually is. And once that is revealed, the kind of burn that happens from then, and it's not like it's all then revealed immediately at that point, but the way that that burn then like actually starts to ignite and like fire like an incense, that's when it's good for me. Before then, I'm just staring at the unlit candle, basically. It's too slow of a burn at the start. I really like that analogy because I also agree with you completely in the way that throughout the majority of the film, like you say, I'm just kind of staring, waiting, wondering, kind of just... It's so weird being a movie reviewer watching a film as opposed to watching a film to enjoy it because you really want to try to pick it apart or tear it down or even have some sort of opinion on it even before the movie is complete. And I feel like that's almost yeah. tainting my opinion in general. Uh, maybe not just mo- this movie, but movies in general. Um, guys, what do you guys think about that pacing question? Did anybody have a, a contrary opinion to Kelly on that or maybe something you agreed with? Cole? Yeah, I uh, I thought this movie was very slow and to the point where it uh, negatively affected it to the point where I got 30 minutes into this movie and was very confused. It was like, I something, did I miss something? Is something happened? And I went back and I watched the first 30 minutes again. And guess what? I got absolutely nothing wow. out of it. What? <laughs> Damn. So <laughs> that's commitment for a guy who likes his 90 minute films. You put an extra 30 minutes I, on this thing. <laughs> I am well aware. And, Damn. um, <laughs> you know, and I, must mean it was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it's going to negatively affect yeah, his opinion. Yeah, no, I, I went back and watched an extra 30 minutes of this uh, film because I, you know, I was like, oh, I got to put my movie review pod, you know, hat on. I got to make sure I pay attention because clearly I missed something. <laughs> and then uh, it turns out I didn't. Um, and also, I don't know, maybe I just didn't connect with the characters very well. When they show the scene of Joan for the first time and they put like the name Joan over it. I was like, why are they telling me the girl's name I've already met before? Uh, turns out, uh, <laughs> spoiler, I guess I had met her, but you weren't supposed to know it. And it's, uh, it just becomes very convoluted. But yeah, I hated it. It was very slow in terms of the pacing. I thought the pacing was could have wow. been faster. I, I think I'm in a unique position here. I'm I, This is the first time I've liked a movie, and I think everyone else on the podcast doesn't <laughs> like it. All right, so, I want to ask to Eric how in the first yeah. 13 minutes of this podcast, we've determined that while being on a movie podcast, we now watch movies differently. I'd like you to respond to that <laughs> accusation. Well, what what do you mean? Like we, while I, I just on, mean just we, the we idea that it, we've yeah. both commented that while we go into a movie, we're watching it with a different lens being on this podcast. Yeah. Maybe not specifically here, but just like as a movie reviewer. I feel like that's kind of worth touching base on when you analyze yeah. a film. You look at it from a completely different perspective, right? Yeah. I, I think that we all bring our own personal biases into reviewing. That's very fair, I think. Um, like, I grew up Catholic. I, I probably would consider myself agnostic now. Um, and so movies like this and The Exorcist actually really uh, strike a fear into me and strike emotion to me, into me. And that kind of personal bias definitely affects the way I watch a film, I think. Slow burn movies, too, I, I particularly enjoy. Like, I, I'm not saying that I have more patience than the next movie reviewer, but uh, 
I feel like I have a lot of patience for movies like this. And uh, I guess the fact that the after the first time I watched it, I, I actually was confused by the ending. I was like, why would it end this way? We, we won't get into it yet. And I kind of understood it this time. And I've seen other horror movies that make the same point and do it uh, in a less, uh, not as good of a way. And then also the second fact uh, that I saw this and then I realized that the writer and director of this movie was Osgood Perkins, uh, who is Anthony Perkins' son, who was Norman Bates in Psycho. And I like read all that and I'm, that added an extra cool fact onto this movie for yeah. me. That Talk about a slow burn. <laughs> yeah, that I didn't really realize before. And I know that I shouldn't like this movie more just because the guy that wrote and directed it was the son of a horror, like, all-time villain. Like, maybe the best villain in horror movies of all time. But it does make it like it make me like the movie even more for me. So, yeah. So I only comment on this briefly, but I'm also a born and raised uh, Catholic boy. Um, yeah. And... My experience almost is completely opposite of yours as far as the way it makes me approach religious uh, iconography or things in in movies. Mm -hmm. It's almost to the point where I go, I roll immediately because of the amount of exposure that I had as a kid as opposed to the the sincerity of it. But I digress. We could talk about religion and all of that. But I've went to therapy for this. I still have fear about (laughs) demons and stuff. Hey. Uh, yeah, that's pro- even hey, though I, I don't consider myself like uh, like fully Catholic anymore, I still get scared by demons and stuff, uh, and that is probably has to do with my Catholic upbringing and the way that they struck fear into my heart about these certain things. Hey, that's sure. uh, that's cool, and if we can talk about that, that makes yeah. it even more enjoyable, or you know, not when when discussing yeah. well, movies like this. That's a reason to like the movie for me. It's Damn like it straight, made, made and that's that's it. huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yep. So. Right. You have to think all the girls at the boarding school similarly had that yeah. kind of experience too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although we don't see it straight up in our face, you have to assume so when the headmaster is Yeah, a you don't priest. you don't some people just enjoy getting yeah. possessed too. Like uh I guess yeah. You yeah. also just don't see a lot in this yeah, movie as, as we come to There's find just, out. They don't show you a lot. You they just you know, they talk a lot and like things Which happen I like. and they just don't show it. you things. And you just have to be like, this is a yeah. movie that is m- moving pictures. It's supposed to fucking show me something. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, I, I think we're like starting that. to see the, uh, the, the framework of Cole's review here, but we'll get there. So this movie employs a non-linear narrative structure. Yes, I know. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> how did this storytelling choice impact your understanding of the plot and the characters? For Cole, he had to rewatch 30 minutes of it. Uh, for the rest of you, did it enhance or detract from the overall experience of this film? I'm going to answer the question first. Uh, for me, I found it also distracting. Um, I couldn't quite wrap my head around when was happening where. Um, I was watching it with my wife, and she kind of pointed out some similarities to some of the things. I was like, oh, I guess maybe there's some flashback elements. But overall, I was kind of confused. Um, Kiskas, what do you guys think? Eric, you can I, go first, because I went first I think the, um, the casting between Joan and Kat, Emma Roberts, and it, Kiernan Shipka, not Kieran, sorry, Kiernan Shipka, which, yeah, we, we said Kieran earlier. Either way, the casting between those two and... Saying that they only have nine years apart was a disservice to the film. I I agree with that. They look very different from each other, and it's almost confusing to uh, see 
Emma Roberts uh, play the same character that she was nine years ago. I, I completely agree with that. But the nonlinear time aspect, I actually enjoyed. I I didn't like pick it up yeah. the first time I watched it until about 45 minutes in. Um, when, when they actually put the name Joan up on the uh, on the screen, I was confused at first. And then throughout the film, I realized, oh, like this is the same person and she's going back to finish the job and or uh, maybe going back to do more than that. I actually really enjoyed the suspense that it put in me. It was very suspenseful for me to have the differing timelines, and I think it added to the film. Kelly, same question. What do you think about the nonlinear structure? I made a comment to Eric, which he immediately disagreed with because Eric is going to be biased in a way that he's already alluded to. Mm -hmm. I said, remember when we watched The Captive? And you guys remember watching a captive and the timeline being everywhere and it being snowy outside. And that's what this movie started to remind me of. But both of those movies, like, it's not like I had trouble following along with it. It didn't get so, well, the captive maybe got a little more convoluted than this one. But I can see how they were using it. And like I said, once we find out who Joan is, which at the the time that we're shown Joan, we're talking about the actresses and the nine years apart. I My first thought was, what's the chance that two two women or girls in this area have the same bad haircut? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? But no, instead, she's just had the same bad haircut for nine years straight. And I was like, fine. Okay. So I don't know. That added to something. But when you find out that you're kind of watching it not just non-linearly, non but also like a time gap. I liked like kind of having those pieces to put together because as I said, when we find out who Joan actually is, I just feel like that's when it all ramps up for me because you know what's going to end up happening. You have an idea then of what her goal is. So that is like the point where for me, I appreciated all the jumping and all of the like different perspectives of like the same scene happening after that, especially... The ones where we find out what happens to the sisters. I liked re-seeing that from different perspectives. So that part of the time jumping and the non-linear, I thought they did well for this movie. Cole, do you uh, want to add anything uh, to your previous rant about the structure of the time uh, jumping? Yeah. Um, this movie made me feel really dumb because yeah. <laughs> I was just confused <laughs> and to the point where I had to rewatch this for 30 minutes and then I finished the movie <laughs> and I had to then go and then uh, look up on IMDb the synopsis of what actually happened in this film because <laughs> I was just I was so confused I had to go to like Wikipedia and IMDb to be like what the fuck did I just watch like what is happening also there's some like the whole point was, like, Joan is supposed to be the same person, but nine years later, but it's, like, the same, it's a different actress of the same age of the person that was already there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, like, yeah, like maybe if they, they should have done something to make her look older or just something. But I, agree. I was, yeah. I was I very confused because I'm, like, why are they throwing in a third girl that's also crazy and, you know, killing people and stuff? Like, what is happening? And, uh, and why does she have the yeah, same haircut? I, I will say on the second watch, though, it made me understand it more when they had the character names like right in front of you. Well, like I was yeah. like, OK, Joan is different than Catherine because she's a completely different person now uh, that she isn't possessed or seeking possession. 
Uh, she and is seeking it. Yeah, well, sorry, not seeking it, but, like, she's not possessed anymore. She's a different person. She's been through, like, nine years of probably juvenile delinquency slash prison mental ward. Um, and so she's a completely different person. So that's what I took from... Well, also, she killed somebody and took her ID. So uh, that that is why she is Joan and not Cat. But, like, she is just a different person in general. My question point, is so. what... Uh, is the point of having Joan involved at all? Like, they should have just focused on the original I possession, I... and I thought that would have been a cool story, but instead they're like, what if we just throw in a thing that just confuses people? This is people? why, Cole. <laughs> nope. This <laughs> is where grief leaves you after nine years. It's still Oh, right. Exactly. Right. So, as Eric says, one of the central themes of this film is isolation, right? Is what grief can do to cause isolation to make you feel alone. With characters trapped in a remote Catholic boarding school during this winter break, it absolutely increases the sense of isolation and entrapment. So, how did this setting contribute to the film's atmosphere and themes as the movie progresses? Kelly, you first. Setting, atmosphere, and themes. Exactly. So, with the isolation, it definitely made me think of... um, I think we've talked about, like how most of us on this podcast all went to school in the in the very snowy north of the UP where our families are very far away from us. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're in a boarding school and our scene is usually in the dark, it's always snowy there, even though they're in like New York State. I know kind of that feeling when you're waiting for your parents to show up when you're a freshman because they have to do this great big trek to even get to you. And I didn't have a phone when I was a freshman too. So for that happening to Kat was very much, I understand that feeling and the amount of anxiety that she would have then just like waiting for just a phone call. I like then that being juxtaposed with Rose who made the conscious choice to expand her freedom while she's far away from family to like explore out and use this isolation to be an adult in her kind of way. So I like that these are the two characters that we're kind of left with and starting with, um, even though they are in isolation and they're, they're totally immediately big and little sistering until then the amount of fear that opens up into Catherine, not hearing from her parents makes her susceptible to this kind of like demonic influence. And I think that that can't be understated. Even if we want to say the meaning of this movie is something else, I think that the meaning of this movie is demons exist and they will get inside of you if you get sad and low enough. So I think that she became susceptible to it. And that big and little sister moment when the little sister basically is like, it's too late for you. You had a chance to help me out. I just like that kind of setting. I like that everything that they kind of set up. I like that we start with a broad cast of characters in like the first 15 minutes. And then we have like what I'm going to continue to call kind of big and little sister going on. So all that for me, set it up for a really good, everything that was to follow and the kind of like bad attitude that Catherine immediately gets. And you don't really know why until you do all that makes sense because of the kind of setting of this Catholic school that we're in as well. Hey, uh, Eric or Cole, do you guys have any comments on the setting, whether it was from the snowy aspect, the uh, 
the filming up in the uh, the northeast there, or just uh, anything about the the boarding school aspect? I get. I guess uh, when I was listening to Kelly here, I was like, going to school up in the Upper Peninsula, isolated and independent. I felt like that made me grow, like as a person. Like I, uh, I had to figure out how to be isolated and independent, and that was a good character, like development thing for for myself where i i could learn how to be away like from my parents away from i mean a lot of civilization in general uh but in this movie they uh the main character cat she had both of her parents die while she was in this isolated and independent setting and i i i thought about like if that happened to me what what would have happened to me up in the upper peninsula like uh if that happened and I was just kind of alone up there and no one was there to take me home. And I completely understood kind of letting demons in, like in the metaphorical sense. This movie was literal. very literal. Yeah, this movie was very literal <laughs> in, it, in its sense of letting demons in. But I uh, understand like the metaphor it was creating that when you are independent, independent and isolated and you have a horrible thing happen to you, it's extremely easy for demons to come into your life in a metaphorical sense. I kind of understood this movie really well in a way. Yeah. I think actually this movie and uh, comments by the director have actually lended to this, that it's much more, the themes are much deeper than what's kind of guised by the horror. He talks about it, being a, a, almost a Trojan horse, so a film about loneliness and isolation that he guised in the form of a horror movie, um, which I feel truly as I as I finish the film and kind of like break it down a little bit more that that the the messages I guess are more important or the theming was was deeper and better uh, a better part of this movie than the actual movie itself, and maybe that's just my opinion on it, but. Um, Cole, I want to ask you about the actual aspects of the horror in this film. So it does explore different varieties, right, from the supernatural elements to some psychological dread. But what kind of aspects of the horror did you find most compelling in this film and why? I have a hard time. I, I guess, like, I think it did a good job with, like, the isolation and kind of, like, attention and obviously, like, unsettling, like, something's obviously not right. Um, you can't be just calling people the C word and expect nothing to happen. <laughs> uh, but I really didn't get a sense of horror in this film. Like it just didn't, I don't know. I, I maybe it's just because I just, you know, I just watched, um, talk to me and, or let or yeah, talk to me. And I like that movie, that horror movie is amazing, but this one, just the horror, I just didn't really get a lot of horror aspects. I thought it did like the, thriller kind of thing um but i feel like they he like built up all this tension and kind of suspense and then when it was like gonna climax it just kind of did like a bunch of weird like quick cuts and stuff and never really kind of came out with that like punch to the face horror moment that's supposed to like grab you and make you feel terrified it's kind of like oh she's possessed and she already killed these people she's gonna go kill more people now and you're like okay there was a lot of interesting jump cuts that maybe hindered it, and I felt like the nonlinear story 
also hindered the fact, kind of removed some of that horror elements because as you build up the tension, it jumps to a different person and you're just now confused, or at least I was because I'm a big dummy. So, all right. So I won't take long with this whole thing. But... <laughs> you're not a big dummy, Cole. I understand where you're coming from. You're not I'll a big just dummy, say that. Cole. Like, you're I, not. Yeah. You're not. Uh, so, uh, all right. At the, at the beginning of this in my intro, I talked about hating horror. And if anyone's listened to the majority of our podcast, we've talked about how I don't like horror movies, getting scared is not my thing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, before I watched this film, I messaged our, our podcast group a screen cap of uh, what was a description of this film. And it was something along the lines of a brooding horror masterpiece. And it generated kind of a conversation about you know me not looking forward to it, et cetera. And then I informed Eric that I had finished it and he asked if I was scared. And I had to ask him if he was serious, mostly because when I finished <laughs> the film, I really didn't find, just like Cole, any horror aspect to it at all. And again, Eric, I'm trying not to diminish the way you find this That's film okay. entertaining. Yeah. I really don't. Um, yeah. and maybe it was because I was watching it at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the afternoon with some light coming in with my wife and the dogs running around and I wasn't like completely immersed. Maybe it was my upbringing as a Catholic schoolboy who now does not you know, follow that any longer so it doesn't freak me out as much. I don't know. There was something about it that I just didn't have that element of horror so that reason I asked Cole that question, and Kelly, I want to ask her, ask you the same thing, is if what aspects of, of the horror did you find, and is it truly a subjective version or viewing of that horror element? I think, like Cole had said, it's more of a thriller, but it's a, it's a slow thriller. This is a movie that's very much like um, a very long episode to me of American Horror Story, where the horror isn't like smacking you in the face but there's elements of it there you can't have a movie with satanic possession and not put it in the horror category um, regardless of how you're gonna show it to us and i feel like with the rose character they had some like throwbacks to like i don't know like scream era type horror movies where it's the woman who's walking around nervous and turning every corner and opening every door where the noise for us as the audience is the really loud sound of doors creaking open is supposed to make us like jump a little bit. So those elements are there, but I don't, I definitely didn't find this movie like over the top. Like I'm going to yelp. I'm going to do anything like that. Um, even when they tried to throw in the elements of, um, She's in front of the furnace and she's thrashing back and forth or she's in her bed and she does the legs over the head. All that just felt pretty tame in the way that like, I hate to keep saying American Horror Story, but I'm going to keep saying it. And it's not just because Emma Roberts is in it, though it didn't help. <laughs> did not. No, so, it did not. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's just like a tame kind of horror to me. It's like a TV movie kind of horror is I think where I would put this one. Eric, you want to toss in on this one, on the horror elements of this film? This is what I was saying to you, Kevin. Like, fear is very subjective. Like, I, I think I was, uh, I figured out that you are more scared of serial killer type horror movies and not supernatural horror movies. And I'm more scared of supernatural exactly. horror movies. And that's completely fine. Totally fine. Um, but the one thing that Kelly touched on uh, that I really fucking appreciate in this film is is the sound editing. Like, the sound editing pitching up the door sounds, the muffled voices, the fluorescent lights in uh, the Catholic school. 
I just, I don't know. I, I appreciate that on a whole other level. <laughs> Maybe because I do audio editing, but like I, I saw like where they went into the film and they, they like pitched up all of these noises. And I'm just like, that's fucking awesome. Like I, I fucking love some good sound editing in a film. I love that this is a low budget film and that they actually had somebody probably go in and do the sound editing and like pitch up all these noises just to make it a little more nervous, anticipatory, and anxious uh, for the audience. And that worked for me, for sure. All right, Cole, toss in on the sound editing. What do you got? <laughs> uh, I will say one thing that I did enjoy that I, I don't think I've seen in another film that I thought was a very like smart and, and a unique take was towards the end, towards the climax where the police officers confronting her after she's, you know, killed these people and is still possessed and he's talking to her, but it's coming through kind of all muffled and robotic, like the phone call. And I interpreted that as almost her, the, the our main character, I can't remember her name, hearing the police officer, but she, through, Cat. yeah, Cat, yeah. like the, you know, Cat's hearing him, but she's possessed, so she's hearing it through, like, while being possessed, and it's all kind of muffled and distorted and stuff like that. I, I thought that was a pretty cool touch. I enjoyed that. Um, I did think that a lot of the sounds were, were done very well. Uh, so I'm not, I don't want to be a complete hater of the movie, but I, I, I wanted to point out that because I really did enjoy that part because I thought that was a unique take on it. it made me think a little bit more. So... For me, maybe it was my speaker, maybe it was my state of mind, but during the phone calls where Satan was calling various people and times and whispering things in the phone, I struggled to kind of understand maybe what was happening or what he was instructing her to do. Uh, apparently there was a pretty... Kill all you know, the cons. Exactly what Eric <laughs> said. Um, I didn't catch that when I first watched it, so I was I watching YouTube reviews too, and stuff. Actually. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. that's what they said. I had to put subtitles totally, on, too. Totally, you know, explains that's, a lot. doesn't matter the that you had to put couldn't... subtitles on or another. Like, fucking, I, I feel like... who wants to watch subtitles while watching a film? I don't. The droning you noise, do. I think, was I scary enough. Yeah. Ah. The know. reason that you couldn't hear Satan's voice when he spoke to you is because you were baptized in a Catholic uh -huh. church was as it a baby. Was oh, it Satan, though? <laughs> I feel like it was just a demon. Kelly, I love it. No, that was, a I feel like that was absolutely fucking <laughs> Satan himself. Come on. I think it was... Uh, all right, <laughs> all right. That, uh, the semantics on the theology of... of the, there's was no way that was a, a guy named Brian Oofberg, and the music was by a guy named Elvis Perkins, who is the brother of Osgood Perkins, also the son of Anthony Perkins. Right, so it was all in the family. Yeah, And he actually wrote that scene uh, where Kat plays uh, at the talent show. Uh, he wrote that song in the garden that she plays on the piano. And all of this put together, I just, there's just so much like more to this movie, I feel, than I originally realized. And it makes me love this movie. Hey, so, and yeah. I think that's actually pretty cool regardless so let's talk about the music a little bit so a lot of this soundtrack is what we've referred to right ambient noise things that are pitched up screeching strings that are accompanying a lot of horror films things that create suspense but we also get cool segments like um, eric alluded to on the talent show i also thought there was an uh introductory song in the first couple minutes that reminded me of a western uh for some odd reason or another so, does anyone else have any uh, opinions on kind of the soundtrack or some of the choices that they used with the music in this particular film? 
No? Yeah. All right. Well, Eric, pretty much well, touched on it. Anything else you want to elaborate there, sir? Well, at, at the end, uh, Elvis Perkins does a uh, like, original song called Black Coat's Daughter, which, you know, is the name of the film. Only and, reason. Only yeah, reason, like I, right? That is I, called this, right? <laughs> well, I've listened to Elvis Perkins before, before I even saw this film, and he's a really fucking talented folk musician. And the fact that he's in this film makes me like it more because... I, I don't know. He has created some amazing songs. I think back of uh, the song Exploder uh, that Trent Reznor did uh, with Nine Inch Nails and Hurt. And he talks about how Eraserhead, uh, the movie, puts all of these random like furnace noises throughout the film and these random sound effects throughout the film. And the sound editing plays so much into the film. And I I think this movie did exactly that. Like, the sound editing was top-notch, and I think Brian Ufberg and Elvis Perkins both had something to do with that, and I respect the film on that level because it there's very few films that really, really pay attention to sound editing and, like, peak it up a notch in that way, so... Yeah. So uh, another individual performance, well, not individual performance, but that was an individual performance by our music person. Let's talk about the actual performances in this film itself. So... In The Black Goat's Daughter, we see some, I would say, particularly strong performances from Kieran and Shipka and Emma Roberts. What did you guys think of the cast performances in general, and how did they contribute to the film's effectiveness? Hey, Cole, why don't you tell me a little bit about the cast? Um, I thought they did uh, a fine job. I don't think uh, I don't think there was really anything I didn't like. Although, I will say the scene of them, of the um, cat and Rose with the two... Uh, sisters at the kitchen table. I thought that scene was kind of funny where they're just uh, doing the prayer and then she calls them the C word and then just immediately starts vomiting. Uh, I thought that scene was kind of, uh, (laughs) I don't know, could have been done better. (laughs) But overall, I thought, you know, their performances are good. And all of the, most of the people that are, are most of the, um, especially the main uh, actors in this film have gone on to do phenomenal stuff and are very, you know, talented. So I don't have any major complaints on any of them. Kelly, what do you think about the performances in this film? I keep talking about when the burn happened for me. Pre-burn, pre-possession, Kiernan Shipka's performance for me. I did not think it was good. And I was kind of struggling with her pulling off of her character. But once she becomes possessed, she sold it to me. Like she was made to play a possessed a possessed character um and the makeup job too that's something i don't often talk about on our reviews is i love um makeup i love the way that horror makeup can make a person look and especially not just when it's like gets to sci-fi and crazy and cuts and gore but when it's subtle like the way that they um made her actor look with the like the red like sunken kind of eyes and expression they paled her out they made her hair poofy like all of these kind of things that added and became like subtly more and more as she gets deeper and deeper i think needs to be called out and that wouldn't have worked if she didn't pull off the performance as well as she did in addition to that emma roberts did an emma roberts job um i think that she pulled it off fine and she's like a good actress to me, but she doesn't like blow it out of the water in my perspective. Um, and I think that this movie was kind of the same in that regard. Rose, uh, the actress who plays Rose, I think 
did a fine job. I've not really seen her in anything else, but I think the standout for me is the mom and dad, James Reamer, and I don't know who plays the mother. So Lauren Holly, um, she played Mary Swan Swan Samsonite. I was way off. Um, oh, yeah, Mary Swan yeah. Samsonite. I didn't uh, realize that. Dumb and Dumber. That's so amazing. Mary Samsonite. Are you dumb serious? And, no, Mary Swanson. Sorry. Wait, are you serious? Um, She's the same actress. Yeah, no, she was Mary Swanson in Dumb and Dumber. Wow. Okay. Wow. Jeez, that was. I, I like this movie. That now. was a lot. This movie's good. This is a good movie. I, I had to play out the. You know. That was brilliant. Mary. You were sitting on that for a while, weren't you? That was great. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, anyways, the standout performance for me was Mom and Dad. I think that Mary and James Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> I think that they did. They they are what stood out for me. The scene with James and Emma Roberts. So this actually does give chops to Emma when um they are in the hotel room together where she's in the towel and he comes in and they ask questions back and forth and she's so withdrawn and she has a mission and I think all that's portrayed and the way that if this is a story about different ways to handle grief, either the loss of your parents without any closure or the loss of your daughter without any closure and the situational irony of talking to the woman who killed your daughter right in front of you because of all of this kind of tension built up between it it lets them as actors i think really give a really good performance these three that i'm talking about stood out the most because of what was painted for them but also the long like soliloquy that the mother gives with um the backlighting and her like the three quarters kind of shadowed face that she has when she's speaking to Emma Roberts in the back of the car. Another standout kind of um, delivery from her. So my standouts are mom and dad. Excellent. Uh, James Reamer also was Dexter's dad in the TV uh, series Dexter. And I, that like his voice throughout the whole thing just reminded me of Dexter and (laughs) just Dexter, like, or him talking down to his son, Dexter, it, it reminded me exactly of that show. His voice, exactly. How about that? Yeah. Uh, two points. I agree with Kelly completely on the makeup. I thought that they did an excellent job of uh, utilizing that to their best ability. Um, and I do like the the reference to some of the, the ambiguity and some of the, some of the questions that we are left with while we're watching this film. So, Cole... This film does leave us with several questions, but what are your interpretations of the film's ambiguous elements? What did you think they contributed to the film's effectiveness? I know you said you were confused and felt stupid, so that's why I wanted to ask you this question. (laughs) Did you find it uh, annoying, or was it something that you were kind of uh, into as you were going through the film? Well, I definitely was confused, so I'll reiterate that. But as for, like, the ambiguity... I guess I didn't realize that I was going into a, like a possession type film. I honestly thought there was going to be some, oh, there would be like some like malevolent uh, spirit or entity, but I didn't expect it to be a full possession. And really, I didn't get that until she just started killing people. And then she gets right before she gets shot. She just says, you know, hail Satan, just to make sure everyone knows what's happening. <laughs> um <laughs> So maybe the writer director also thought maybe they thought they were a little too ambiguous of is this person crazy or is she possessed? 
Well, let's make sure that everyone knows that she's possessed. So when she gets shot, we're going to have her just be like, hell Satan, let's go. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't Did know. You I just do rock on hands. Did you just yeah. give us devil yeah. horns yeah. while you said that? Hell Satan. <laughs> um, all right. Six, 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 <laughs> yeah. The beast. Like I, um, I enjoy films that don't handhold to a certain extent. But I feel like this film, for being a horror aspect, probably could have done more with it just showed us what was happening or just, you know, I don't know, pushed it more, pushed the envelope. Because, again, a lot of stuff happened kind of not in the focus of the camera or in the view. And, again, maybe I'm just a big dummy, but I just, I don't know, I wish I saw more or wish there was more, like, hardcore possession happening than, I guess kind of a, a, a the soft core possession so to speak so for me there was elements <laughs> of this film that really made it super apparent that we were dealing with the possession and that was a lot of the religious side of things eric you kind of had touched on it how some of that religious um you know, symbolism was important because of your past but i also think that this film in general uses religious symbolism and occult symbolism in general to its strength so how do you, Eric, how do you think these elements added depth to that story, having a religious backside to it? And did it resonate you on a thematic level, not so much as a personal level? So I, I think I've talked about this before on our podcast, if you haven't listened to it. Uh, I watched The Exorcist from a very young age, and I've been watching horror movies for a very long time. On a thematic level, I feel like possession is something that, it can be very, very effectful in uh, horror. It's the idea of a outer entity, like just taking hold of your body and you not having any control over it. And that like idea to me is actually a very scary idea. Like uh, just something taking hold of your body and you having no control over it. In uh, our last episode, uh, our interview with Rhea Mazzola, She's a paranormal anthropologist and talks a lot about uh, possession and just kind of the idea of it, like, in real life, like, how people actually get to that point. Throughout the world, you actually see, like, cases of this, and you don't know why it happens or how it happens. People knowing uh, Latin without ever learning it before or ever studying it, and there are cases of this throughout the world that you just can't explain, and it kind of goes into the unexplained parts of, like, how we live on this earth, I guess. Uh, and I, I think that there's a lot of unexplained things that I can't explain, which is why I'm still agnostic. <laughs> you know, like, well, unexplained things I can't explain. You know, that's, uh, you know, weird. Anyway, um, but I, I kind of, like, have a weird, like, side of me that still believes in some kind of thing that can take possession of my body and I will have no control over it. And that is why these kind of films, they possess me more than I would like to. Ah! <laughs> All right. Moving on. Kelly, I want to ask about direction and cinematography. So this film has actually been praised for its direction by Oz Perkins and the general cinematography throughout. So can you discuss some of the standout visual or directorial choices that stood out to you? Yeah, I definitely think that um, the... Rule of thirds. We all know what that means. I'm sure that our listeners do too. They utilize that a lot, or he does, and the cinematographer does. Lots of minimalist 
shots in that kind of regard. And I think that having the setting of this kind of like old dilapidated building where they all live gives credence to that. And it adds to the aspect of isolation when you only have maybe your character's head occupy a ninth of the screen while the rest of it is all the background. Um, so they utilize that a lot. So the first time I saw it, I was like, this is the stupidest shot I've ever seen. And it was when um, Emma Roberts holds her hand out before she makes a phone call and you see the two quarters in her hand. And I was like, this is giving me like film student like 101. This is the kind of shot that you would frame is these two quarters in your hand before you put them in the phone. But that's immediately called back by Kat when she uses her hand and she opens up her hand in the same way to call for her parents. And that's your first sign that this is the, these are the same people outside of the bad haircut. But like that kind of stuff is utilized then to kind of combine those timelines. So I think that that was really interesting. I think also, so this plays into the fact that I'm calling this like TV horror genre, but the way that they kind of show us the demon who kind of reminds me of um, Donnie Darko's bunny, kind of in the corner of our eye. And it looks like, um, I was calling it like a moth or a bunny. Is That's all we see. And I, I'm a big fan of show us less of the monster rather than more. It's always going to be scarier that way. So I like that they only ever gave us like maybe two or three visions of it. So they were really, really the opposite of heavy handed with these kind of visions. And I think that that plays well into it. So it's like very obviously artful and intentful. I think both to its positive and to its negative in some places, like it didn't always hit for me. It felt like they were trying to be something maybe inauthentic, if that makes sense, because it's almost too intentional. It's too by the books in some regards, but those are my thoughts. Those are great thoughts. Do you guys have anything else you want to throw in on the cinematography, or shall we move on to my next one? Um, yeah, Cole. Cole, please. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, overall, good cinematography. I'm going to reiterate most of what Kelly said. Uh, but the one scene that I thought they did a disservice to was when she kills one of the um, the sisters. Uh, when she's laying, the one that's mortally wounded, she comes back and starts stabbing her in the back. They do so many hard cuts. Every time they like stab, it's like hard cut to the side. She pulls the knife up, hard cut to her face, and then she keeps doing it. It's like five times. And I'm like, okay, just, you know, you don't have to do, you know, five cuts in, in five seconds, so to speak. So I thought that was a little, little overdone. Uh, it's funny. Much. My wife, Maddie, made the exact same comment. I'm like, hey, Maddie, anything you want to throw in this podcast? She's like, yeah, the stabbing scene. I hated it. <laughs> like, yep. As far as like yep. the cut between down and back up and like back down. She's like, just just show me I'm stabbing him. I just, yeah. just like, come yeah. on. Just stick stick well, with the side. Show her stabbing the older boarding school uh, student, right? That's what we're talking about. Oh, you oh. Mean, talking about Rose? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Rose like, was fast. That was fast. Yeah, yeah that's and that's it. and that was good. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. just do the same like type of shot for the the nun. Like, they had the side angle where it's her coming down, but they just kept cutting every time she pull it up. They'd cut to just yeah. like yeah. showing yeah. her face just up that top. That specific and then, scene. Well, yes. Like, so why? This is what I'll say about the cinematography. I think sometimes, I guess you guys didn't experience this, but sometimes things are scarier when they don't show it. Um, and the sound editing of the knife going in and out, 
it was very graphic, and I just you could felt hear like this, yeah. you could hear, you could hear the, the just going in and out of the skin. They put it and in that the trailer. Was so fucking graphic, Eric. They yeah. put yeah, it in the yeah. trailer. I went back and rewatched them. Like wow, yeah. they literally put the knife stabbing graphic, like the audio in the trailer. Itself. Yeah, the audio is very graphic and loud, and you I actually hear felt that, that it's that like was a serrated knife. It, I just hear it. Yeah. You know? I, I think the only way that cut would have made sense is if the woman was facing her so you would feel like you're staring into the killer's eyes mm-hmm. as she's getting stabbed. But the lady was laying with her back on the ground. So did I don't know, it just it bothered me. Sound editing well, aside, the very good. The was Ju- Julie Kirkwood. Well, um, get a new job, and- Julie. Oh, <laughs> damn. Come on. I'm just, I'm just kidding. All right, Julie, we're I think you did a great job. <laughs> and so, like, I'll defend the cinematography a bit. I, I think that a lot of horror films, they do well with negative space. That's, like, a big thing. Negative and minimal space in horror films uh, makes it scarier for a lot of people when they don't know exactly what's going on or there is a lot of negative space. They see, see somebody's face, and then the background, there's, like, nobody in the background, and then all of a sudden the killer pops out of the background. And this film did more with uh, minimal space than negative space, but I still think it was accomplished in what they were trying to do. I think Julie Kirkwood did a great job with the minimal space that she was using. And I, I think it was very intentful, like Kelly said. And I, I, I actually enjoyed the intent that she was uh, using. Fantastic. All right. My last big question, I suppose, before we get to our reviews, is going to compare this A24 horror film, especially a slow burn horror film, to some of the others that are in our collection, especially The Witch and Hereditary. So what sets Black Coat's daughter apart from those two films, maybe specifically, without giving away any of those details, especially for me, on Hereditary, but what common themes do they share, if any? Kelly, I want you to start. Immediately, I know you asked about common themes, But the immediate standout between this and Hereditary is Hereditary has a great script. This movie, for me, the script writing was not my favorite. There were a lot of scenes where I thought it was extremely dry. I would say the similarity um, between this movie and The Witch, which, like I had said earlier, I feel like this movie was almost trying to be like the response to The Witch. And maybe that was A24's intention by distributing this um it's like the never-ending story satan is going to possess women he's going to possess young women he's going to find the cracks in their facade to sneak through all the way back to eve kind of a a disagreement there right well uh hereditary is different and i can't really say why um nothing not a um, a trap in that kind of way but (laughs) the similarity i'm saying between like the witch on this is like this like feminine um usability by evil i guess is this like story that goes all the way back to the beginning of time there's a more eloquent way to say this but i mean right eve if you think about it right garden of eden you go back to eve yep and all of these kind of movies you think about um the exorcism as erica has talked about earlier think about rosemary's baby think about i think possession is a woman as well and even video games um like faith i think about a lot too that goes back so i think that that's like a long-standing like story throughout like 
human humankind. So this is another example of that. So of course there's that, and the fact that witch is also a, the the witch is also a slow burn, like how this movie was. But the witch puts us in a place in time that this movie I don't think does in the same way. The witch puts us in a whole. I just feel like that movie set us up so much more. Like, it ripened our minds for what was to come with its slow burn. This movie, I don't know that it accomplished that, but I could see how it might have been trying to. So, I think that that's the similarity, but it didn't, like, knock it out of the park like these other two movies that you suggested did. Those are two movies that knock it out of the park. This one, this one bunted, for sure. All right, Eric and Cole, give me your... uh comparisons and uh, differences if you will between this and those other two major horror films from a24 eric this was not as good as the witcher hereditary especially in a slow burn aspect uh i i don't feel the um cinematography and the actual like plot of the film and the acting was as good as the witch and hereditary and midsummer for that fact I, I, I think Kelly raised a great point about how in film history, when we have possession films, we often uh, they, they often possess women instead of men. And it's a very like odd thing. I, I think like that they try to possess women instead of men because societal, like from a societal aspect, uh, women seem more innocent, quote unquote, than men. And seeing a like younger woman be possessed is a very disturbing thing as opposed to a, a younger man because in society we think that men uh, even younger men they're prone to be more violent and that's why it might be more disturbing I guess that women are possessed which is a weird societal thing that uh, film has brought across through all these generations but at the same time I, I think this film I think they want to touch more on grief and how grief possesses a person and lets really evil de- like demonic things into somebody when before that that would have never been possible and i i like that aspect of it it's definitely a story that's been told before but i think the cinematography the sound editing and the acting got it across for me and that's why i enjoyed it well, I'm sure we'll get an opportunity to reiter- reiterate all of those things as we get to our final, but I would agree with you in that sense um, that there was something about it that really did come across as, as spooky in, in a way, one way or another, and it really is just totally up to interpretation on all of those things. So, Cole, anything you want to lay in there uh, on the A24 comparisons before we move into our final grades? Um, no, I mean, this movie was basically like a guy watched, uh, the witch in the shining and decided to make a worse movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, I'm putting you on the spot, Cole. You're up first. Give me your full review. (laughs) But yeah, I, uh, I think overall I did not like this film, even though I am a big fan of horror and, um, you know, I've watched a lot of possession movies um, you know, my partner loves all like the ghosts and spirits and, you know, exorcist type movies. So I've watched a ton of them. I did not think this one lived up to that genre and gave me 
kind of the thrill or the like adrenaline rush of a horror movie as I was hoping for. And it also didn't tell a compelling story to me. Um, I did not like the nonlinear. It made me feel dumb. It also made me watch an extra 30 minutes of a film that I did not personally enjoy. So that's another negative. I went into this thinking, you know, cool 90 minutes, always a plus for me, turned into two hours. And now I'm, you know, sad and mad because I learned nothing from my extra 30 minutes. The choice to have, you know, the nonlinear story with multiple actresses playing the same character nine years apart, but not be different ages in you know, just based off looking at them, I thought it was a very bold choice and heard it. So overall, <laughs> if you, um, I very guess bold. are into, into this kind of movie, I would say go watch the witch or hereditary. Um, I think those are very, very well done. A 24 horror mill, uh, films, uh, talk to me is also amazing horror film about possession. That is way better. So I'm just going to give this, uh, uh, I don't know, a D24, I guess. I just, I don't, I think there's so many better versions out there, but there is a couple redeeming things, and I just don't want to hurt Eric's feelings too much or the Catholics. So, right. And I'm going to jump right behind you so that we don't have two like wildly differentiating opinions. Although I feel like Kelly might be joining our boat here. But for me, when I finished it, I was very disappointed. I didn't really find a whole lot of horror aspect throughout the film, I didn't really find a whole lot of the story compelling or really most of anything to be honest with you i tried really hard to get myself in the mood or put myself in a perspective where i was going to try to enjoy it and it might have been my brain trying to protect me from a movie that i thought wasn't something that i was going to enjoy with my um, predilection to hating of horror but i really was just kind of left wanting a whole lot more than i was given Again, it could be a ton of different personal reasons why. I mean, the film wasn't terrible, right? It wasn't just like the drizzling shits or something where I go, don't don't watch it. If you're a horror buff, if you like satanic possession movies, if you are a fan of A24 or this podcast, please watch this movie. It's definitely worth your time uh, in the sense that you, well, A, you want the completionist aspect of it. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Um, but B, it's... It's different, all right. It's it's got something to it for for those people that really enjoy horror films. For me, it, it wasn't my thing, so uh, I'm gonna be with Cole on this one. And this again is nothing against the actresses, the actors, the writing, the directing. Just it was again personal taste. Uh, it gets a D twenty four for me as well. So sorry, Kelly, you're up next. I don't know if I. Have- let you all know how I was going to kind of lead into how I would review this. Um, I think that my thing that I kept bringing up was when for me in what I will consider as a slow burn, as everyone considers it, when the flame was lit was at one third of the way through the movie. First third, I was like, no potential. This is not going to do it for me. But once that flame is lit, I think that this movie took off for me. And I'll tell you two reasons why, and it's not just one twist in this movie, but two. When we find out that Rose is going to die, and you don't know exactly why yet, but you know that her parents are sitting there with Joan at the time, and here's the picture of her, and 
You know that picture so well because the cinematography showed us that photo of Rose being taken twice beforehand. That picture you know means a lot and there's the dad with it in his wallet. You know that she's going to die. So the amount of tension that that builds for me I think was amazing. And the fact that when you find out how she does die, it's like really not a big thing. It's not like overdone in the way that they shoot it or anything. It's like it subverted my expectations. And I love that happening. So that was one one spot that was a twist. The second spot towards the end is when uh, we find out that Joan, who broke out of the psych ward, is not possessed because we see the exorcism happen and it went incredibly well and as she was called Catherine at the time and that's her real name just wanted the demon back inside of her she didn't want to be left alone I think that that was such an interesting take you've never well I I can't speak for everyone but I've never seen that happen in a movie before I thought that that was like um, a really fresh perspective as well so both of these Plus, of course, Satan or demons would reside in an all-girls boarding school because that's just ripe for the picking. He's just waiting for um, one of these girls to feel lonely enough to find a vessel to send some kind of satanic force into. So all of these things being added together, huge props in my mind. It's only taken down because of, as I previously mentioned, I just feel like it's muted from what it could be. If we take this whole same story, if we take this non-linear way that it's delivered, um, I just want to like take the dial and ramp it up like 33% and we'd have an A here. I just feel like it was dialed back too much for me. Part of that too is I think that the script was kind of weak. If you're going to be possessed by Satan, you can do more than just saying the C word saying hail satan um like let's just like give give me a little give me more Mm -hmm. i just that's all i want but there's all the lines like the 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 nuns finding out that oh oh shit her parents are dead um (laughs) rose can you go outside and i want you to shovel the snow to the ground to the ground like these kind of spots it like really stood out as like really memorable to me even though i watched it once before and forgot it on the second watch i will not forget this Anyways, long-winded. <laughs> Goods and bads. Ramp it up more. I like the story. I I really, really do. So all this said, I'm going to give it... It's so in between two letters. It's going to go B-24. I have a feeling that this episode may go down as the most divided the four of us have ever been on a film <laughs> as far as, like, aggregate score. Yeah, Eric. If you take out Spring Breakers, yeah, uh, yeah, right, yeah. All right, Eric, bring us home. Yeah. Give us, give us the top down. So I'm the lone one that really loves this film. I love the nonlinear aspect of this film. I think it adds suspense. I like the cinematography, the sound editing. I, I, I hate to say it again, but as an audio editor, I really respect this film on a whole other level because of just I, I can notice everything they're doing with the sound editing. Um, the acting, I I know that Emma Roberts, she she's like kind of good in horror, but not good in a lot of other things. Um, and I could kind of notice that in this, she didn't really like bring home an amazing performance. But Kiernan Shipka, I actually think was surprisingly good at like slowly being possessed. I I thought that was actually a pretty cool part of the film. The directing by Osgood Perkins, uh, I like 
that and the cinematography setting the tone of this film, the slow burn of this film, and the the color palette of this film. I think actually a big part of directing is setting a color palette to a film, which is an odd thing to think about. But like, I think that's a lot of what like a director has to do. It's like set the tone, set the color palette, uh, direct the actors, be a watcher of all everybody on the set. That's what Brian De Palma told us in uh, mm -hmm. his documentary of De Palma. And I think that uh, Osgood Perkins did a great job of this. The tone of the film I really enjoyed. And I like how this film really touches on how grief lets demons in. I I love our ending. I like how our main character gets possessed and uh, she wants it back in her. That's a, not a common thing in horror. We don't see that in horror very often. The exorcist, once it get, gets out of her, once it gets out of Reagan, she wants it out. She's horrified. She blacks out and like doesn't even remember it. And the fact that this film talks about like how somebody experienced grief. And if you pay attention at the start of the film, um, our main character, Kat, she sees her, her uh, parents get in a car wreck. She sees the car wreck in the parking lot she like lets that slow that grief of seeing that slowly possess her throughout the film and i think that is such a beautiful like metaphor for how grief can like let somebody just get completely possessed by evil i i think that this film did so good on so many levels it wasn't as good as hereditary or midsummer and I know that I'm different than everybody else here uh, on my grading here, but I'm going to give it an A-, and I'm going to stick by it. And I don't care that nobody else liked it. Um, I think that it's okay to like a film and, you know, have everybody else not like it. You know, you don't have to get defensive over it. Damn straight. You can just, you can just enjoy a film, and it's completely fine. I don't care if the critics like it or not. Get, or not. You know, I... I just enjoy it. You know, so, out, of, for me. out of the 40-whatever yeah. movies that we've watched, I just love that we can still have these kind of conversations where it's just yeah. about sometimes preference. It's not always about how the film structurally is or the semantics mm -hmm. about it. So for those viewers out there, you've stuck with us. Thanks so much. I appreciate you for uh, being here, and I want you to give us your opinion on this film. Write us, comment, like, and subscribe. Do all of those things that you do. Uh, we appreciate you for being here, and thank you so much. And on to the next one. Guys, let's have a good night. Sayonara. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Four.